Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of a series on gap-filling, when government and governing institutions fail. We're talking with community leaders about how nonprofit and advocacy organizations, as well as local grassroots groups, are doing the work for the community when the government can't or won't. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about the episode this week is that I think we would have loved to have done it before the election because this organization is doing a lot of right election-centered work, uh, but they were so busy that, uh, that that just couldn't happen. But it, it's also really interesting to think back to how much effort had to go into this recent election to register new voters to vote. Uh, and, and by the way, who was doing that and how does all of that work? Yeah, and, and thinking about it in the context, right? So we've had conversations around the election um, and voter registration and voter mobilization. And oftentimes we're talking about it in the context of just the power of civic and political engagement. Um, but I think contextualizing this conversation within our series on gap filling is really helpful because it really kind of emphasizes the role of these types of organizations in providing both resource and technical skills, assistance to do this type of work. So in this context, we're really thinking about, right, how can organizations recognize that there's a need that's, you know, specific to their community that is, that that there are other organizations doing this work, but that they can support and amplify um, and, and fill a gap at the same time. So it's really exciting to like be looking at an organization. And so I'll give a little like nod forward or forecasting or what is the foreshadowing <laughs> like, uh, that we're talking with someone from Cleveland Votes. Um, and they do really cool work that around voter registration, voter mobilization, but also nonpartisan advocacy work. Um, they do work around collaboration with, you know, the county on election administration. So just really neat ways of thinking about how to fill this gap um, in terms of having a robust kind of democratic process that engages lots and lots of people in, in, in the voting process. Right, and pulls voters back in that, that, that are, we're missing from the system and want to be and deserve to be back into the system. So I'm excited for our guest today. Today we have with us Devante Dickey, who serves as the Advocacy and Engagement Coordinator for Cleveland Votes, a nonpartisan democracy building and mobilization organization that aims to strengthen civic muscle and power to ensure we have a more informed, participatory, and cohesive community. Through his efforts with Cleveland Votes, Devante mm -hmm. is building the Cleveland Votes equitable civic engagement framework aimed to encourage us to reimagine how we build democratic power in every sector and to address the structural, systemic, and institutional barriers resulting in apathy to be civically engaged. Through Cleveland Votes, Devante managed more than $500,000 in grants. Okay, 
congrats, excellent, um, to uh, nonprofit organizations and currently manages strategic communications. Cleveland Vote serves as the chair for the city's neighborhood outreach and the county's community and neighborhood outreach subcommittees for the 2020 census. Concurrently with his efforts to advance um, a and prototype equitable civic engagement, he is all so managing a civic technology initiative aimed to combat social injustices through the power of technology and data called Hack Cleveland, which is also super exciting and has been on our radar. So we might just have to like add some additional things. Um, and Devante served as the advocacy and engagement coordinator in Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, where he managed the city's two undesigned the Red Line interactive exhibitions, analyzing redlining historical discriminatory housing practices that resulted in the collateral challenges we see today, in addition to supporting policy and advocacy efforts for community development corporations. Devante Dickey holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Environmental Studies and studied Environmental Studies and Policy at the University of Cape Town and is a member of the Alliance for Great Lakes Young Professional Council and the NAACP Greater Cleveland Chapter and an active member of Summer on the Cuyahoga. I am super excited to have you here today. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so as we get started, um, I know that we just read your bio, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a part of Cleveland Votes? Absolutely. Um, so hi, once again, thank you so much for having me. Um, thank you so much for also reading my bio. It's weird to like hear like, oh, wow. Um, I'm originally from Chicago. Um, studied, as you've mentioned, um, at Denison, Denison University, um, studying particularly environmental, uh, environmental studies with a concentration in um, environmental justice, sustainability design, and policy. So pretty much understanding the intersectionalities of policy and advocacy, the history of, of social injustices, um, and anthropogenic like influences um, and figuring out, okay, how can we put those two together um, to figure out ways to eradicate some of those challenges. Um, and oftentimes the, 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 through line within all of that work was, oh, policy, oh, civic engagement. Oh, how do you um, get, how do you mobilize and organize people to, you know, come together for a cause and, and fight for that cause in every way, shape or form. And it was just amazing to study that at that school and then also study it in Cape Town for, you know, a number of months. With that, I then decided to return back to the States upon graduation and said like, hey, I really want to do this work. And through my um, network uh, with Erica Anthony, one of the co-founders of, co of Cleveland Votes, she decided to bring me on um, with another amazing colleague of mine, Jennifer Lumpkin, who serves as the civic strategy um, engagement, ooh, excuse me, the civic strategy uh, excuse me, the civic engagement strategy manager. The two of us, or the three of us rather, came together to, you know, build out Cleveland Votes um, because it is an organization that has, um, or an entity that has lasted for a number of years. So in 2017, we received an investment from the George Gunn Foundation. And that is what allowed me and, and Jennifer to be brought on um, to build out Cleveland Votes in our equitable civic engagement framework. So what exactly is Cleveland Votes? For, for our <laughs> listeners that aren't aware, what does the organization do? And tell us a bit about the history of it. 
Absolutely. So Cleveland votes, and I love that you uh, included like the the tagline that we always say. Um, you know, I'm going to say it again. So Cleveland votes is a nonpartisan democracy mo- democracy building and mobilization entity that aims to um, strengthen civic muscle and power to ensure that we have a more informed, participatory, and cohesive community. In other words, we are an organization that strives to be um, as audacious and as unconventional as possible when it comes to um, voting. As we love to say, we want to make um, voting and civic engagement sexy and fun. <laughs> you know, the same way that we celebrate, you know, prom polls, the same way we celebrate getting our, our driver's license, you know, our first cars, our first jobs, we all prom and graduations. Like we also need to normalize the act, the normalize um, being eligible to vote, going to vote for the first time, and also going to vote each and every election. Uh, we need to celebrate it. We need to, you know, do the proposals. What would it look like to do a vote polls, proposal, <laughs> you know, of the, of the equivalent? <laughs> and so that is why we decided to come together and do this work, particularly in 2013. Um, our co-founders, Erica Anthony and Crystal Bryant, um, they have a lot of work in the criminal justice um, realm. And in their work, they realized that you know, Ohio, we don't do a lot of things great, but one of the things that we do do well is uh, we allow returning citizens, those who have served their, served their census, sentence, um, the ability to register and, and in fact go and vote, as opposed to, let's say, Florida um, and a lot of, a lot of other, um, other southern, southern states. Um, so in their work in the criminal justice field, you know, getting returning citizens registered to vote, they realized, yeah, it, it's all, there are also a number of other communities, historically disenfranchised communities that also need those resources, those tools and a navigator and a convener and a translator, you know, to walk them through this process of this very convoluted system that is known as civic engagement, voting, census, and everything else in between. And so with that, they said, okay, hey, let's sit down and create an, an entity. Um, and that entity was Cleveland Votes or is Cleveland Votes. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, prior from 2013 to 2017, um, Eric and Chris, do, they were doing this. They were doing Cleveland Votes on a volunteer basis. The two of them, you know, one was, um, both of them have full-time jobs. So they were doing this, you know, intrinsically outside of their work, their work at working hours. Um, and they decided, okay, hey, we're going to seek out more investment um, to actually solidify this body of work. Um, and that was, you know, the result of that was the 2017 um, gun investment um, that included, that brought on, you know, myself as well as my amazing colleague. So now there seemed to be quite a bit of, you know, voter and, and census registration, mobilization, engagement uh, efforts, both locally and nationally. Uh, How are you guys connected to those? And uh, in what way are you kind of different? Are you filling gaps or supporting or amplifying efforts other than what's kind of currently in place? Absolutely. Um, And I think this is a great segue to actually explaining like, what is it that we do? So, and apologies for me not explaining this first. So Cleveland Votes, um, we do about six or seven things. First and foremost, we are a voter mobilization grantor. So we give money and resources to organizations that are either interested in doing voting rights, voter registration related programs and efforts and events, um, as well as giving um, resources and funds to organizations who, who, who solely does that work. So North, so Nova, Ohio Voter Rights, um, you know, so many organizations throughout our um, city. 
Um, we also partner with our board of elections to do to celebrate um, something called National Voter Registration Day. So National Voter Registration Day, NVRD, is a quasi, but we really call it a, an official holiday that happens on the third Tuesday of every September. It's essentially the final push to get people registered to vote before the official deadline. And all in all, it's just a day to celebrate democracy, celebrate civic engagement, celebrate, you know, hey, come out and showcase your civic power by registering to vote, also getting the necessary resources to then get out and vote <laughs> later on. We also host an annual nonpartisan training, um, so teaching individuals as well as 501c3 organizations um, that has to be nonpartisan because of their IRS you know, status or nonprofit status, the do's and don'ts, because that realm can be a little that, that can be very nebulous. It can be very confusing. What does it look like when an organization that is nonprofit wants to be civically engaged, but they don't know how to? So they reach out to us and we help navigate or be that, you know, pioneer to help them through that process where they're not endorsing, you know, political parties. They are having very neutral messages, working very closely with those organizations to do um, such things. We also support ballot initiatives because once again, as a nonpart as a nonpartisan C3 organization, you can do that. As you mentioned before, we played an active role in the 2020 census for both the city and the county. Um, and then, of course, occasionally serving as a um, civic engagement um, convener um, because the process, the space, the realm can be very just complex and intricate. Um, so helping people navigate those spaces where it's like, OK, you have an issue. Let's allow us to help you find the right person or the right entity um, that best aligns with your organizational goals and visions and dreams so that we can create a much more dynamic solution. So that, you know, is what we do. That was a lot, <laughs> a lot Um And to answer your question, you know, how is it that um, our work around the census and voting related to registration, mobilization and engagement? You know, once again, as as I mentioned before, like ECE, equitable civic engagement is about um, normalizing, you know, this work. So and, and we and through that, we have to acknowledge that there are so many ways to plug in. So many ways, whether it's um, tabling outside at a, at a grocery store with voter registrations, phone banking or vo- virtual phone banking, um, texting family and friends, developing apps to combat our criminal justice system, um, even little things such as hosting Zoom parties and talking about local issues with family and friends um, and, you know, amplifying and sharing civic engagement tools and voter guide and voter guides on your social media Um you know, the civic engagement and voting, they're, they're all a social behavior. So we have to, it's a social science. We have to guide people um, who, you know, have a variance of engagement to, you know, figure out ways in which they are comfortable, like being civically engaged to the point where you're not, you're not, um, you know, having them enter their panic zone, but instead their learning zone. Excuse me. So, of course, not only with the census, we were able to create um, a number of infographics, a visually centric centric design infographics that aligns the message of the census and its importance to hard to count communities and hard to count communities being communities that just have a low propensity of wanting to fill out the census. So what happens when we're talking about trusted messengers for the last year or two and people don't even know what that means? Um, let alone the organizations who are working with those hard-to-count communities not having the necessary tools and resources to even go out and talk to those individuals about the census. So we realized, hey, we needed to take a moment, um, create some visually centric infographics, given that, you know, we have a city that is unfortunately 66 to 67 percent functioning illiterates. 
So we have to also be cognizant of that um, and say, okay, we need to simplify or demystify like this content and then make it visual and then translate it in a visually centric way, um, share it with our partners as well as share with those communities. And then when you're out and about in those communities, you can talk about issues that are most relevant or prevalent um, and that they, in that they, in that they care about. So everyone cares about healthy healthcare. Everyone cares about their children or themselves having adequate and accessibility to um, educate accessible um, education. Everyone, everyone is using streets and roads, like whether you're walking, biking, you know, you're a cyclist, you are using public transportation. We all, we all use that. And then more importantly, or lastly, um, we are all human. We all need sustenance. We all need food. <laughs> um, you know, we, we all need it. <laughs> so, so who wouldn't want, um, you know, affordable and organic and healthy produce that is easily accessible? We decided to tackle those four um, topics um, in those hard to count communities so that people understand how census dollars and your participation or lack thereof to, in the census affects your life in those four different ways. It's literally, you know, the Maslow, Maslow hierarchy of needs, like the base, the bottom of the, of the hierarchy is like basic needs. Uh, let's tackle those basic needs before we all seek self-actualization for each and every one of us in a just and equitable fashion. So yeah, that was a lot. And then to answer your your final question, what makes us different? A lot of people have told us this. I think what makes us di- make us different is that we we don't try to impose, you know, our ideologies. We don't try to impose, like, you know, our 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 um, motives. We don't have a motive. Like the motive is. Hey, we just want everyone to get out and vote. We just want everyone to be civically engaged. And it's so funny when we're engaging with people and they're like, well, what do you want, Devante? And like, what do you want to vote? And it's like, and it's a paradigm shift. Like, not to be like jovial, but it is a paradigm shift. Like what has happened when there has been centuries upon centuries, or not centuries, excuse me, decades upon decades of individual being individuals being historically disenfranchised, when there have been um, compounding nefarious systems placed on them that has resulted in them um, justifiably saying, hey, I'm, I don't want to engage with you guys. I don't want to engage with politics because I don't see myself in politics. So instead, I am going to create my community here and disengage. And then when you have an organization like Cleveland Votes entering the space and they're like, well, what do you want? Like, you you obviously want something. Like, the only time a politician comes to my church is a month or two before the election. So, you guys, you it, like, if, they, if they're here two months before, then you have to, you 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 probably are doing the same thing. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, once again, it's a paradigm shift when people are asking, like, oh, you actually care about, like, my issues, like you actually want to serve as a translator and, and get my issues from my neighborhood to city council. Like, oh, like, like, okay, okay. I, I now, I now want to support you guys and what you do because I see myself and you and vice versa. And that is what, it, and that is what it's about. Like we are intrinsically motivated to go out, go into these communities and say, Hey, we're not experts. <laughs> like we are not politicians. We are not political scientists. Like we do not have PhDs in poli sci like you do. <laughs> like, as much as I aspire to get a PhD in poli sci someday, um, I do not have that yet. Like at the end of the day, we just want everyone to enjoy and to see themselves in the civic engagement space. I appreciate that so much. And I'm just going to put in a little caveat. <laughs> Neither Casey nor I have PhDs in poli sci. So our, our PhD, we do have PhDs. 
Okay. And we're affiliated with political science, but I don't know why I feel the need to tell you this. <laughs> no, um, no. Uh, and I think, I think to that point though, you make a really, really great point in the sense that so often the idea of who's the expert is captured in kind of that very specific type of credential, right? So the person who understands politics will be the PhD in political science or the faculty member who happens to work in political science. And I think that one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is really amplify the fact that expertise is everywhere, Absolutely. right? And that our job is simply to, to kind of, you know, bring people together and amplify and where we can get out of the way. So our goal ultimately is to not be the hosts and to be the supporters, right? Like, <laughs> um, I, was, I really appreciate that you said that. I would say 90% of our episodes, we are absolutely not the experts, <laughs> which is why we wanted to talk to you. <laughs> but but, but it, in this lie, I appreciate these conversations in your platform because you find so often like this gatekeeper like syndrome, like the, like yeah. it has been normalized. Un- unfortunately, it has been normalized, especially in Cleveland where... Oh, like you, you can't be the expert because you're such and such years old, or you can't be the expert because you don't have the masters or the PhD, but we failed to, we failed to ask the question, well, why, well, why is it that certain individuals have more access to higher education, you know, to, um, healthy produce to equitable transportation or inequitable transportation, and people are unfortunately not willing to have such radical and honest conversations just yet, which we need to, <laughs> uh, so that we can yeah. once again shift the paradigm and shift the power, the civic power, um, in making more just. So uh, to that point, and you've 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 talked about it, and I th- think that um, you've basically explained it, but I really want to just ask very pointedly. You say that you emphasize equitable civic engagement. How do you define that? I feel like I, you've already given like 10 examples, but I really just want to hear your definition. Like, what does that mean to you? Because I'm one, I, I think we are like going to be like citing you all the time, but I just want to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. I do want to say that the term equitable civic engagement, we did not create as much as it sounds really nice. It actually comes from, it's actually a term that comes that comes from whew, excuse me Ohio State University's um, Kerwin Institute they have a report um, that talks about equitable civic engagement and I think the best line out of that report that I'm going to cite in this <laughs> conversation um, is the following so fundamentally equitable civic engagement is about leveraging the power dynamics of, of place giving voice to those previously alienated and excluded from the civic process I'm gonna say that one more time because I tend to talk fast fundamentally, Equitable civic engagement is about leveraging the power dynamics of a place, giving voice to those previously alienated and excluded from the civic process. And I think more importantly, we have to extract out the different clauses of that statement as if as though I'm doing like constitutional interpretation or something. So the first term that we have to extract out is leveraging the power dynamics, understanding that systemic institutional and structural racism exists. You know, the creation of our of this of this very country, our constitution was literally centered around civic power equating to white men who owns property, uh, which then transitioned into um, the three fifth compromise, which then which then transitioned into you know women's rights, uh, women's having women having the right um, to vote, uh, which then transitioned to the Voter Rights Act of 1965. It's like you know we have to, we have to acknowledge that politics and power and race 
they, they, they go hand in hand. And so what happens when the power dynamics have, have for a very long time been imbalanced? And we're now, and for a very long time, we've been working to um, reach that, you know, societal homeostasis. <laughs> and it's a challenge. There's going to be resistance in that process. So, of course, understanding and acknowledging the history of power dynamics um, and how to leverage it um, in each and every community. The second clause, which is giving voice to those previously alienated, once again, under- understanding Okay, in 2020, like it's 2020, you know, December 4th, you know, who are the communities that are alienated? We tend we tend to do a lot of human-centered design thinking in our work, which is which is us saying, okay, let's have some empathy for communities that we do not identify as. What are the communities that I'm a part of? And then then let me think of the polar opposite. <laughs> so, if I'm in if I'm in these three communities, okay, then there are 26 other communities that I'm not a part of. Let me make sure that I'm reaching out to those individuals and those communities so that we can create and cultivate divergent and creative solutions that are, once again, equitable (laughs) amongst all demographics and all communities. Otherwise, I'm only perpetuating the power diamond, the imbalance of our power dynamics. And then lastly, understanding like who have been excluded from the civic process. What does civics even mean? <laughs> like, wh- like you know, what is this? Like, you can't explain someone the civic process. You can't nav- You can't expect someone to navigate this already convoluted system <laughs> that is known as our bureaucracy, known as our d- democracy, known as our government on a local, a city, a local, state, and federal level, without just understanding the basics. So. Who is like your mayor? What are the roles and responsibilities of a mayor? Like, what are the roles and responsibilities of your city council member? Do you even know your city council member? If I show you a picture of all of the city council members, could you point to it? The unfortunate reality is we have people who have individuals and and people in communities where they don't even know their city council member. So it's like, you can't even point to me who your city council member is. First, before I need, I need you to first understand who your city council member is before I can then, you know, help you and educate you on like what are their roles and responsibilities. The governor, you know, understanding Governor DeWine's roles and responsibilities, what he can and cannot do. Understanding, you know, our state legislator um, and figuring out what they can and cannot do. Understanding the difference between like a state senator and a U.S. senator, <laughs> like you know, there, you know, there are, there are, there's, there's so many nuances to our our politics and to our government system. And it can be overwhelming. So that is what ECE is all about. We also say that equitable civic engagement is an action, a constant action, where you know you have to think about it every single day, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. Analogy, uh, the example I love to give is, you know, by the time like we all wake up, and in a matter of the first five minutes, we've already engaged with several different like agencies. Like we all wake up and. If we all wake up and we're breathing air, <laughs> like now we're talking about clean air and clean water. We all go brush our teeth. We all go to have a shower. We're talking about the regulations of the EPA. And once again, if the EPA is, is not, you know, upholding those, the Clean Air and the Clean Water Act, then of course, like we're now going to consume um, toxic toxins into our bodies, which only then results into a neurological and neuropsychological effects. And I can go on a whole tangent with that because once again, I'm a huge like nerd when it comes to environmental science stuff. You know, we all like to grab our cell phones. So we're now talking about the FCC, you know, so if we have companies that um, refuses to companies that refuse to provide um, Internet access, 
Um, we're now talking about those regulations or rather the deregulation <laughs> um, and the lack of accountability, you know, and, and so many other, so many other, you know, policies and so many other like governmental agencies. So once again, understanding that civic engagement is an action, is a, it's a constant action. That is what it's about. We also love to use the term um, new power and shifting new power, um, shifting from the old power, which is, you know, we all know the old power is like, once you get it, you want to hold on to it and share it with other homogenous individuals, um, other people in your homogenous community. But now understanding that new power is a surge. It's a current. Like once you get it, you want to disseminate it and share it across all demographics and diasporas. Yeah. And then also essentially just creating a sense of belonging um, in your community. Like you, you want to, we want to acknowledge and, and create a safe space where people can dream wild, you know, dream their wildest dreams and, or share their wildest dreams and work with us, co-create and work with us to help create that world that you, that you want for yourself and for your future, for future generations. I just want to say we're, we're public administration policy scholars and you're just really speaking our language right now. So <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, hang on folks. This is probably going to be a long podcast. Just let <laughs> me know. <laughs> there's so, there's so much there's so much to it. I'm a book nerd. I, I love information. I love, I love this word. <laughs> so, so t- I, I'm really curious about this. I mean, we've heard, you know, pretty, if anybody watches the news at all, you've heard ad nauseum about Stacey Abrams and other organizations in Georgia, right? That this is a really important work that they're doing to try to re-enfranchise voters, people that have just felt like, you know, left out of the system because they have, they've been intentionally built out of the system. But I, I think most people probably don't see Cleveland as a city in need of that. It's not in the South, right? Uh, so, so what is important specifically about the work that Cleveland Votes is doing in a city like Cleveland? I think what allows Cleveland Votes to stand out, our work to stand out, is we try our best not to, you know, impose, once again, impose our thoughts, impose our ideologies. We're, we don't have any sort of, you know, motive besides getting people registered to vote. And, and, and this is the and this is the unfortunate reality is that the unfortunate reality is that as rudimentary as that sounds, like people still don't understand. People tend to still um, question it. It's like, oh, you have to have some sort of like motive to you know to to get me to register to vote. And it's like, no, as a nonpartisan organization, you know, we're not endorsing the left or the right, Republicans or Democrats. Like, we're just trying to give you the information. Like, simple as that. And people a lot of people for for rightful reasons are skeptical of that and i think that is what allows us to stand out is the ability to be nonpartisan to be neutral to um be issue oriented in our work and that and that goes back to the the behavioral science that goes behind voting um that goes behind human connections and relationships so if you casey if your passion is is water rights Okay, like I'm going to present to you, I'm going to present to you and share with you all the water, uh, water rights related resources, and then from there, you you now have the self agency to make the decision as to what you know which side of the political spectrum you want to fall under. That's not us. There are a number of organizations that you know obviously are Republican leaning or Democratic leaning, so they obviously have their ways of doing that work, partisanship. But the beauty of Cleveland Votes is that we are nonpartisan. So we get to work with each and every type of individual, whether it's white suburban women in the Shaker Heights, you know, all the way down to queer, you know, black and brown kids who, you know, care about elevating queer rights um, or LGBTQ rights. 
it allows us to really be in a lot of spaces and, and to be that chameleon. Um, and, and that, and I think that is why the work that we do is so important, particularly with Cleveland. We also have to acknowledge just the history of Cleveland. Like we have to like, and not a lot of people are willing to have that conversation. Unfortunately, we have to acknowledge that it is, we are a city that is extremely divided and a lot of, you know, it, the city is very divided and there are very little, to, there are very little resources or access to those resources to understand the why. It's just a lot of people tend to just be complacent and complicit and just say, oh, it is what it is. Like Cleveland is just divided. If I'm from the east side, I don't go to the west side. If I'm from the west side, I don't go to the east side. If I'm in a surrounding um, suburb, I don't even engage with the city unless I'm going for, you know, a concert or a baseball game or a basketball game or, you know, go or somewhere downtown. And so we have to understand, you know, the the migration patterns, the, the behavioral patterns. Um, we also have to understand why the uh, why Cleveland and why our city is divided? When we look at the history of redlining, when we look at the history of discriminatory housing policies, and how that influenced migration patterns and white flight, um, how it if influenced, you know, excuse me, um, what is it? I can't remember the term. The fear of white coats, like why a lot of Black and Brown communities fear even going to a hospital. So when you're talking about, you know, a city that has, you know, a, wor- a world-renowned hospital and then a block or two a block or two outside of its perimeter, like you have the highest, some of the highest levels of infant mortality, you know, lead poisoning um, and other health disparities. Like there's no way that should even be the case that we have like a, a main clinic, Cleveland, excuse me, Cleveland clinic existing. And then in the Huff Glendale area, like we have in central Fairfax, we have these issues like, like what, what is the disconnect? But once again, they, this, this, there has to be this accountability uh, mechanism that needs to be set in place um, across all sectors and across all organizations. And, and people, you know, for, for rightful reasons, just because of life, because of what's happening, uh, especially this year, like it becomes hard to even determine how to plug in. Like, oh, you, like, you've now influenced me, you've now inspired me, you've piqued my interest. Like, I now want to get involved, but how do I? Where, where do I go? I need a, I need a navigator to 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 guide me. I, I need I need GPS, a civic engagement like GPS. And so I think that's what allow all in all that is what allows us to stand out. Like we we're, we're, we're truly just our our most authentic selves. Like we just like to go into communities and say, hey, let's mobilize together. Let's co-create. Um, let's prototype. If we mess up, then hey, let's refine those solutions and, and move forward. And once again, like a lot of people, they they're. They just don't like to dream. They just don't like to prototype, like, which for rightful reasons, rightful reasons. I, th- I think a number of people are just scared to, scared to dream and, and just scared to do that human-centered design-like process because it, it is a lot of, it takes a lot of mental exercise and it takes a lot of, you know, tapping into your right hemisphere. And in some of the ways that you're talking, I'm hearing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in many ways, civic engagement is can be a healing process, right? So it's it's this. There's traumas that people have experienced, generational traumas, especially within cities like Cleveland um, and the surrounding area. I'm 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 from Michigan. There's plenty of trauma in the cities that I've been affiliated with, and civic engagement can. It's it's both something that can be resisted, but it once kind of connected has that healing sort of capacity, right? So it's it's both about the the agency and the power of the individual to take action and to, to create change in their life. But the way that you're talking about it, it 
there's there was kind of this aha moment in the back of my head that it's it's not just agency of the individual or the agency of the collective. There's a healing process Absolutely. that is taking place in that in, in in being involved in that change making and recognition of the historical legacies of inequality. Um, Absolutely, I love I love that you mentioned healing. Like I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Excellent. Um, so my, my question, um, maybe this is taking us in a different direction, but you're, you know, you were talking about prototyping and civic engagement and working with people. Um, but you also meant, we also mentioned in your bio that you're connected with Hack Cleveland. So can you tell us a little bit about Hack Cleveland and, uh, what this movement is all about? And, and maybe even, um, if you're connected or affiliated with Hack for Impact. Yes, this, I love I love the tangent. This this is why I love having these conversations. Once again, this goes back to equitable civic engagement. Like there are so 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 many ways that you can plug in. Um, so Hack Cleveland is a very similar tangent to organization or entity that was created in response to um, Tamir Rice being murdered. Erica Anthony, as well as a number of other like democracy partners of ours, particularly at Third Space Action Lab, um, and a few other community partners came together at that time and said, hey, we want to be involved. You know, as they, the story that they love to tell me and I still love to share it is uh, when Tamir was unlawfully murdered, you know, people were out in the street protesting and all of the co-founders of Hat Cleveland said like, hey, we don't want to be on the street, but we want to be on the sidewalk passing out water bottles and like sandwiches. And that is still within itself a form of advocacy and mobilization, um, mobilizing. And so with that said, they said they decided, hey, let's figure out a creative way to um, address the systemic issue related to police brutality in the in our in the Cleveland's police system. A number of organizations, you know, came together doing, you know, other work. But they said, hey, let's try to do something a little different. So at that point, the Department of Justice um, oh, consent decree came out um, and they decided to say, hey, let's use this consent decree, which is a lawyerly convoluted, you know, report that is essentially that was assessing Cleveland's uh, police department and let's create at that time a hack um, a hack a hackathon um, a hackathon being you know um, usually when we hear when we hear see hackathons you see like computer scientists on their computers like it's the matrix like typing like you know frenetically <laughs> uh, with drink like like you know drinking Red Bull or something like that um, but they wanted to do, you know, a, 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 hack, a hackathon, but make it fun and also talk about this serious issue, which is this um, consent decree and also police brutality. That essentially resulted in a number of solutions. So one of the most prominent um, bodies of work was community members. And these are just regular community members, as well as civic technologists, coders, um, anyone else who was just interested in, you know, being a part of this event. Um, to create a platform that allows you to understand the lawyerly language of the c- consent decree. And once again, like it, it's, it's simple, <laughs> like, Hey, we need a coder. We need com- some community residents. We need some UI, you know, um, prototypers and experimenters. Let's sit down and figure out a way to get this, you know, to disseminate, demystify this information. And it resulted in a platform where you, you can literally go to go through the consent decree and understand, okay, what does this paragraph mean <laughs> in like layman's terms? Um, and it was revolutionary. Like pseudo council members were like, who is this hat Cleveland entity? Like, how did you guys do this? Like, what is going on? 
So fast forward at Cleveland, we held our, we held a, a similar event in, oh my God, time, October 2018, time is just moving, um, called a Scopathon. A Scopathon being, hey, a hackathon is oftentimes like, here's the topic, just go, just go for it, do, what, do whatever you want to do with it. The difference with the Scopathon, it's, hey, let's tackle this very convoluted, seemingly wicked problem. And then let's compartmentalize it and break it down into like various components. So the topic that we tackled was the criminal justice um, system. We did we did a number of um, informational interviews with experts, so professors, you know, returning citizens, organizations that work closely with returning citizens, residents, and just you know to get a, to get uh, and to understand like what were the consistent themes that kept coming up in those conversations and. Out of, the, out of all of those informational interviews, there were the topics of collateral sanctions, um, skill alignment. So what happens when you have served your time, you're now re-entering society and the skills that you have procured and acquired while serving your time is now is no longer is not transferable in the real world. And oh my God, excuse me, I can't remember the last topic. <laughs> like time, I'm like this is two years ago. So we had, you know, about three to four different topics and we had groups um, come in and we then organize them. So we reached out to UX experts, um, computer um, computer programmers, um, IT technologists, um, technologists, um, judges, you know, public defenders, <laughs> residents more importantly, and then also individuals who have served their sentence. We broke, we placed, strategically placed them in groups. And then we said, okay, now that you guys are in five or six groups, you can now choose, you know, one out of uh, one of these four topics and you go create a solution. This then, of course, resulted in us giving resources to two groups. So they all present their ideas. We selected two of those groups. And one of the groups that is still going strong and, you know, just time and COVID, everything happening, a group called Unbail, they're now creating this amazing, amazing, amazing platform, which, as they love to say, it's it's the Google Maps of our criminal justice system. Like, you know, we, we understand with so many other governmental uh, and bureaucratic processes, it, it is complex. So the purpose of this app is, is to serve as that Google Maps. How do you navigate if you have a court hearing? Where do you go? <laughs> like, once now that you're at the courthouse downtown, like, how do I get from my car <laughs> to whatever floor I need to get on. Because once again, each floor has a different set of courts. And if you're not a public defender, if you're not a, a, a lawyer of some say, some way, shape or form, then that, that building can be very intimidating. <laughs> what happen, you know, what happens when you need a reminder that your court date is this date or that the room, the courtroom has been moved, you know, you, you need the consistent communications. And if you don't have access to a public defender, because once again, we know because of the system, public defenders are working like so many cases and they have very little time to actually get to know each of their, you know, each of the individuals that they're about to represent in a matter of like two minutes, just making sure you have a platform that can serve as that mediator and to, and to help mitigate some of those issues. So that is what, you know, Hack Cleveland, we are doing all in all, you know, understanding the importance of civic and technology. When you put that together, you get civic technology. I love it. I love it. That's oh, that's so great. I this is very uh, uh, extra bonus because we weren't expecting to be able to talk about this. So thank you so much for sharing that. No worries. So, no worries. So one of the things that I think uh, is really cool that you're doing is working on right census and getting people that are 
unlikely to want to participate in it, which I fully understand. And especially since, you know, we have the the White House administration trying to just throw out some of those that were legitimately counted. But now that the census is over and the general election is done, where is it that you guys are going to go from here? Absolutely. I love to jokingly say that is the million dollar question. (laughs) That is definitely the million dollar question at this point. I think first and foremost, because I do a lot of strategic um, engagement and I love data. Um, and no, I'm not trying to do a plug, but you know, someone's most recent book, A Promised Land, came out, and he and he talks about this this crisis, this um, information crisis that we live in. Barack has said great this great analogy of you know how do we expect us to have these very radically transparent, very honest on conversations that we need to have about the state of our democracy, locally on the citywide state level, the state level, and then federally. But how can we engage in these conversations if? You, Casey, you, Ashley, and me, myself, we are using different sets of information. So if you're using Wikipedia to understand our democracy, Casey, if you, Ashley, are using like, you know, an encyclopedia that came out in like 1900, in the 1900s, and then if I'm reading like, you know, Facebook and Instagram, like, you know, my, my Instagram and Facebook pages, then how do we expect to have an honest conversation, let alone some sort of effective conversation about our democracy if we're, don't e- if we're not even using the same set of information? And so that is what we're challenging ourselves to do now. Like, let's, we as an organization, we are really sitting with what has happened this year and not falling victim to this, this pattern of, okay, that's done. Okay, the next thing. Okay, that's done. Now the next thing without ever reflecting and once again, refining what has happened since the pandemic. Like we're talking about March, March erupting and the COVID case is happening, you know, the shutdown and our election supposed uh, was supposed to happen March 17th. And in the wee hours of the night, we have judges and, re- and state representatives like driving to the courthouses to present their case to judges to convince them to move our election because we have a whole pandemic, a public, uh, public health crisis. What happens when you have that happening? What happens when you have, you know, the election date being shifted from, you know, June back to April and then people having to mobilize from there, you know, having to then mobilize people to vote by mail who are so used to voting in person their entire lives. What happens when you have PPE or the lack thereof in a lot of communities, a lot of black and brown communities? What happens when we have to have lawyer election law, lawyers analyze constitutional interpretation and originalism um, and understanding that, you know, people are arguing that the, that we shouldn't be making these changes in our constitution because the constitution states we have to have our elections on these dates. And it's like, well, we also have a whole pandemic happening. Like, we like what is going on? So we're talking about like, constitutional law, election laws, and deontology, and moral ethics, and in like public health, you know, public health ethics, like, what is going on? You know, and, and of course, like prepping for the election, you know, the census and all the mayhem that happened with that, you know, the election was supposed, the election, the census was supposed to end, gosh, these dates, it was supposed to end at some point, it's, apologies for the date, I think like the end of July, and it kept moving, because once again, the public, you know, the administration on the national level, they were, you know, in the courthouses having these dates constantly shifted. So once again, there was just so much, so much, so many moving parts and so much, so much um, information overload to the point where if you are already in this work, in the process and the information is already over, is too much to bear or it's already complex. Like imagine someone who is just the layperson just trying to make ends meet. They're like, I don't even have the energy, let alone the time to get involved in the mayhem of 
all of that <laughs> because I actually just need to get to my job. I actually need to make sure I can pay rent next month. I can, I, I need to make sure, you know, me and my children have PPE. Like there are just so many more pressing issues that came up this year, let alone then people saying, oh, okay, we want to get you registered to vote. Like, how do we get you to like go out and complete your census? It's, you know, it's like, we, you have to understand this though. You have to understand the whole individual and the whole person and their issues and be empathetic to them. So all in all, we are doing a lot of data information and a lot of data analysis. So understanding, okay, what worked well? What didn't work well? What were the pluses and the deltas this year? Let's look at the data um, of the census results as well as the um, general elections results in our city. Figure out which neighborhoods and which communities had a, a relatively low voter turnout, a low census response rate. Uh, figuring out ways to be more st- strategic in investing in those communities um, because they need a little bit more TLC. <laughs> Let's go, actually go out there, talk to those individuals, those community residents, those you know trusted organizations, and figure out creative ways. Let's co-create rather creative and dope ways to get people to register to vote. We have to realize that voting census work like. This work cannot just be, cannot just have, you can't, um, there's no like panacea. There's no like, you know, cookie cutter solution. You actually have to go like house by house, <laughs> block by block, block by block, street by street and understand, you know, those, those every, every person's issues and then guide them in and help them figure out how to connect it to civics and voting and, and beyond. Also, we are doing a lot of resting because resting is a form of resistance. <laughs> So we're definitely doing that right now. We're also assessing how do we keep local officials and and all of our officials, to be honest, accountable because there is no accountability mechanism or like infrastructure, let alone, once again, the proper information in order to determine how to assess and to to determine if they are being accountable or not. So you have have platforms such as um, documenters, documenters who are out and about, yay, out and about you know, in these um, city council uh, meetings, like typing up what is going on because, you know, we all have human, we all, we all are human. We all have like limited time. Time is finite. So you need people out in those, in those zoom meet, in those meetings, like documenting what is actually happening. Of course, we're preparing for the mayoral election that is happening next year, which is the hot topic, Woo, the hot topic that is going on. And then the la- the very last three points I want to mention, and I love that you both brought up Georgia, is essentially like reclaiming our narrative. Like we, this, in, this, in, in, in the process of us reclaiming our narrative, we have to once again have these very uncomfortable and very honest conversations. So we, all, we have to acknowledge that the entire country was depending on Georgia <laughs> for this previous election, but yet we have, and we and we have to acknowledge that there were four black women that made that happen. But all, but then juxtapose, there was an article that came out about Cleveland um, and how black women in Cleveland are at the bottom of the totem pole. Like there are very little to no resources for black women to even thrive and, and to achieve self actualization and upward mobility. So we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, the same like the, the strategies that were deployed in Georgia are were the same strategies that were deployed in Ohio. The difference is once again the demographics. Like same same strategies but different demographics. Okay, let's actually unpack why is it that we have why is it that you know the strategy the, the strategies that we deployed resulted in the election results and the sense of results that we got versus the state of Georgia. And then lastly, just acknowledging that once again, the hard truths of our city, our, 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 the hard truths of our city's history, um, so that we can then create uh, more authentic solutions. Thank you for that. So as you all are 
kind of thinking about what comes next, right? Which I think is an amazing opportunity. And I think is part of civic engagement. Like you've kind of, you've mentioned, right? Like that is an essential component. (laughs) And I think we've talked about that in in some other ways too, but also quick plug momentary, like I wrote it here, but just, we also had Lawrence Caswell on the the podcast. So love the fact that there's some crossover. We're going to have to like, (laughs) love it. Are there ways for any of our listeners, especially our listeners in Northeast Ohio, um, we have listeners around the world, which we think is really, really cool. But um, most of our listeners are Northeast Ohio. Are there ways for them to be engaged with Cleveland Votes or any of the other kind of organizations you're associated with or connected with that you've referenced? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, first and foremost, shameless plug, because we are oftentimes the convener. So like, don't want to say the gatekeepers. We're not the gatekeepers. We are definitely the convener uh, or a convener. So feel free to reach out to Cleveland Votes at info, I-N-F-O at Cleveland Votes, dot com. Once again, I-N-F-O at Cleveland dot com. And we will literally get you plugged in if you want to be out in these streets, getting people registered to vote. Hopefully not in the code, but if you want to do that, you know, just bundle up, bundle up, please. We will, we will provide you PPE and everything. <laughs> feel free to reach out to us and we can get you plugged in. We have a number, a number of, of, of a, a great basket of like democracy building partners that we have. So if you want to do democracy work pertaining to, you know, environmental rights, I don't know why environmental rights are in my head right now. Um, like environmental rights, we have Ohio Environmental Council that are doing dope work. If you are an Arab American, you want to do work around civic engagement. We have, you know, so many uh, Muslim related organizations that are doing that. If you're a part of the ADA community and you want to do civic engagement in that realm, we have organiz- we have entities and partners for that. So uh, feel free to reach out to us and just indicate in that, in you know, your in the follow up, like, hey, I'm such and such, and I, you know, I'm interested in research. Okay, we we will get you plugged in with you know policy matters and other you know research related or entities to elevate um, this body of work. And then also too, because it because Georgia's runoff um, election is coming up, um, if you're interested with that, there are so many opportunities to do that to um, to you know support and participate. Whether it's virtual phone banking, whether it's just spreading the um, word about the voter registration deadlines and the vote by mail um, deadlines, even you know voter guide voter guides and other educational content, even um, donating to vo- um, voting rights organizations, um, as well as um, organizers that are literally out in the street, like out on the field, in the ground, on the ground, um, getting people registered to vote, making sure that they have you know all the access and resources that they need to vote. Um, we can certainly, certainly, certainly get you connected and plugged in. Awesome. Fonte, it has been so awesome having you with us today. Let me just ask you one thing. Is there anything we missed? Anything you want to add? Any words of wisdom for our listeners? <laughs> oh, woo. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love this conversation. <laughs> thank you. Oh, what is it there? That is there anything else, else that I want to share? I think the... Two things. So one, we have to, I encourage us all to, let's once again, normalize the, the, this, normalize the behavior of civic engagement. We have to redefine it. We have to reclaim our narrative. And pertaining to the words of wisdom, um, because I'm reading Barack's book, like he has this phenomenal, I know, I'm, I'm always plugging them in. I think it's the Chicago in me. Uh, <laughs> 
So one of, one of the statements that he stated in his book was, let me see if I remember it. We have to dream of a world not as it is, but as it ought to be. And so instead, you know, I encourage each and every person um, throughout, you know, the entire country, throughout, throughout the entire world who's listening, you know, to ask yourself like, hey, let, let's not dream of the world that you want, but like, let's, let's make sure that, let me phrase, the world, the world that, you dream or, that you dream of should be the world that you want. And whatever that the dissonance, whatever the discrepancies or the gap that lies between those two, like, let's work together to create that world, if not for yourself, then for future generations. <laughs> and so, yeah, that is what my world word of wisdom would be. Thank you so much, Devante. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Goldmox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about gap filling.